As the demand for telemedicine grows, so does the need for connectivity. 5G meets that need. Qualcomm remains focused on giving doctors and patients superior, security-rich 5G connectivity. Learn more at qualcomm.com slash inventionage. safe financially now? Have our leaders fixed the economic crisis? Or are we making it worse? That's the question. You know, I'm listening to all the political guys speaking and all this, you know, President Obama. I'm not Republican or Democrat. He's saying he fixed the economy. You know, unemployment is down, yada, yada, yada. China has no consequence to us. You know, interest rates are rising. Inflation is increasing and all this, but people don't seem to believe people anymore. So today's program is we're going to go into what caused a crisis to become a crisis in the first place. The question is, how come nobody saw it coming yet when people all over the world, including myself, were saying, this baby's coming down, this is long before the crash came? You know, how come the so-called experts didn't see the crash coming? But the more important question is, you know, history is history. Have they fixed it? Or is it going to get worse? Or is it going to get better? But the most important question is, how did we get into this mess in the first place? I don't know if you realize that since from the year 2000 to the year 2010, we have had three major crashes a thousand times bigger than the great crash of 1929. Thousands of times bigger. All you have to do is look at a chart of the Dow, 120-year chart of the Dow, you look at the crash of 1929, it was a pimple. And you look at the crashes that started in 2000, 2007, and then today. We've had two massive stock market crashes and a major real estate crash. And yet people are still talking about the giant crash of 1929. Well, how come they didn't see this giant crash of 2000, 2007, 2008? Why did millions of people lose their homes all across the world and people still call their house an asset? So that's what the Rich Dad program is about. We look for answers, want to find out what happened, and we want to find out if we learn anything from history. Any comments, Kim? Well, yeah, they say this is going to be a great show because um, we are going to look at a different point of view from the historical point of view, and they say history repeats. And if history repeats, then what did we learn or what didn't our leaders learn from history? Because there's a lot of similarities to what's happening now that's happened in the past. So this is going to be more of a historical point of view, which I find fascinating. So I'm, I'm excited to get started. So our guest today is Dr. Barry Eichengreen. He's a professor of economics and political science at, at UC California at Berkeley. Very, very outstanding school. He's the author of Hall of, Hall of Mirrors, The Great Depression, The Great Recession, and the uses and misuses of history. And let me say something about this because I am a history yes, nut. Yes, you are. Yes, I you love are. history. But I also know history doesn't repeat necessarily. It rhymes, but it doesn't repeat. For example, let me give you an example, okay? There's all this debate right now about guns. And they said, we're going to defend the Second Amendment. Well, if you look in history, when the Second Amendment was written, you know, it took you two minutes to load the damn gun. You know, <laughs> you sat there, you shot, and you crank them, you know, clean the thing out, put a bullet in and all this. Let's say it takes you a minute to shoot around. That was when the Second Amendment was written. 
Today they have guns that can fire at 1,100 rounds a minute. And yes, so in all, and I, I am a gun nut. I'm a former Marine. You know, I'm, you wouldn't find Marines being anti-gun, so don't get, don't get too worried about it. But when you look at history, you kind of understand why people are kind of upset with the Second Amendment because back then in the 1700s, you shot one round a minute. Today it's 11, 1,300 rounds a minute. The electric guns are going thousands of rounds per minute. And that's the problem with history. You know, things change. So today we're, we're, we're interviewing Dr. Barry Eichengreen, and he kind of goes along with that theme because this guy, Ben Bernanke, who was a Princeton professor, he based much of his decisions on how to handle the 2007 crash based upon what he studied as a history professor at Princeton. So he applied what they should have done in 1929 to 2005 or seven, And that's like saying we should go back in time and go back to muskets, you know, fight a war in muskets. Well, we don't fight that way anymore. The economy has moved on. So what happened a lot, according to Dr. Eichengreen, in his book Hall of Mirrors, is we applied 1929 to 2007. So the question is, is the problem fixed? Are we safe now? Is the economy going to continue on? Are we going to be happy days or here again? So welcome to the program, Dr. Eichengreen. Thank you very much. You're not going to get me to talk about guns. I create enough controversy for myself <laughs> by talking about money. <laughs> okay, we'll stick to money. So is that pretty, pretty much the premise of Hall of Mirrors is you have history, and history is important? Yeah, I do argue in the book that uh, our policymakers learned important lessons from history. The Fed, uh, in large part, was responsible for the Great Depression of the 1930s because it allowed the price level to collapse, the money supply to collapse, the banks to collapse. Mr. Bernanke and others uh, knew that history and had learned from that history, so they prevented the same thing from happening again. But at the same time that history is a lens through which we view our current problems, it's also a set of blinders. And I think... Um, because they focused on the price level and the money supply in the banks. They missed the shadow banking system, all the other uh, risks and instabilities and, and, and problems. What, what, what uh, can you explain what, what, sh- what is shadow banking, Barry? Yeah, so it, it's the part of the financial system that, uh, other than the banks, it's the derivatives markets where all the toxic mortgage-related securities were held. It was Countrywide Mortgage, Fannie Mae yeah. and Freddie Mac and all those guys. Money market mutual funds. Uh, Lehman Brothers was not a commercial bank. It was an investment bank, uh, uh, a, a different kind of animal. So all these things going out on financially outside the banking system were where a lot of the risks resided. And I think the Fed and the Treasury only woke up to those problems after September 15, 2008, when Lehman Brothers failed, and the big insurance company, and insurance company is another part of the shadow banking system, AIG, uh, was on the verge of going under. Then they woke up to those problems, but because they had taken their history too literally, as you put it, they thought history repeated itself, where in fact it rhymes. It's not exactly the same, uh, every crash. Um, they did not succeed entirely, as we all know, in preventing the worst. 
For those who have questions about shadow banking, like Kim and I do not use banks for our loans. We have to go to insurance companies because our loans are so large. And that's kind of what Barry's talking about here. So there's different ways of financing any kind of deal. And even today, we're always kind of outside the banking system because they can't lend it. You know, Kim and I started off with $45,000 loan, and today our loans are in the $25 million range. So you can't go to your friendly banker next door. And what happens is, is people like Kim and I, you know, we're, we're, we're little, you know, little tadpoles in, the game, in a game of big toads and frogs. But we have to go someplace else. And that's what Barry is talking about. The, the game of financing and money and all that is far beyond your neighborhood bank. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. That, uh, we have a more complicated financial system that they had in 1929. There are more places where things can go wrong. And uh, that's still the case today, eight so, years after the financial crisis. Right. So I think this is the theme of the show. Uh, are we okay now? Are we safe? I mean, you know, the markets, this is 2016. Markets are crashing all over the world, but they're saying, don't worry, it's going to bounce back. But the question I have is the underlying cause been changed or fixed? No, the underlying problems have not entirely been fixed. I have to unavoidably give you the two-handed economist's answer. On the one hand, we've made progress. I think we have (laughs) done some things to make the big banks more stable, requiring them to uh, hold more of their own funds, hold more capital, requiring them to keep more liquid uh, assets, things they can sell in a crunch on their own balance sheets. But there are a lot of other problems in the financial system that have not been addressed, and I think it would uh, be reckless for anybody to say, oh, the, uh, the system is now safe, don't worry about uh, uh, another crisis. There so, will always be another crisis. So that's what you write about in your book, Hall of Mirrors, is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and basically the argument is that um, success was the mother of failure, that we succeeded in, in preventing the, the economy and the financial system from collapsing completely in 2008, 2009. But because we did that, that removed the pressure to really remake the financial system in a systematic way. So many of the risks remain. So for those who want to find out, the thing that's brilliant about Dr. Eichengreen or Barry's book, Hall of Mirrors, is you get to compare 1929 to 2009, let's say. You get to compare them. And it really points out the flaws in using history as a guide because, as I talked about with the Second Amendment, technology has moved on. And with, with technology today, the amount of money in circulation goes far beyond your neighborhood bank. Is that correct, Dr. Barry? Yeah, uh, that, that, that is correct. I think there are a lot of parallels between uh, uh, the 1990s and, and, and the period leading up to our crisis in 2008. There were housing booms both times. Right. There were low interest rates and uh, more credit flowing through the financial system both times. There were radical uh, innovations in technology, the Internet this time, radio last time. We only really understand it in hindsight. Um, we write history better with distance than we do before the fact. And so once again, when we come back, we'll be talking to, to Barry Eichengreen. book is Hall of Mirrors. But the big question we're asking here at Rich Dad Radio, good news and bad news about money, the question is, are you safe? Have the problems been fixed? And as you know, in 2016, markets are crashing right now. 
And I just I was watching CNBC Bubble Vision, and once again they were saying what we need is more QE. In other words, we need to print more money. And so again, we're talking about it kind of saved Bernanke's butt and Obama's butt by printing money. But with this crash coming up, that's why if you look at the chart of the Dow for the last 120 years, you'll see the last depression, 1929, was a pimple. These last three crashes we had were monster ones. And today the Dow was even higher than when the Dow started coming down when Lehman went down in 2008, 2007. So the question is, are we safe? And when we come back, we'll be going more into that question. You can figure out why this caused it. What can we do? Our guest today is Dr. Barry Eichengreens, professor of economics and political science at the University of California at Berkeley. Extremely good school. He's the author of Hall of Mirrors, The Great Depression, The Great Recession, and the use, mis- Uses and Misuses of History. And the reason this is important is because most historians look at one freeze frame of history. And that's what Fed Chairman Bernanke did. He is an expert on the Great Depression, and he applied what they should have done in the Great Depression to what happened during the Great Recession of 2007-2008. So that's why this program is so important, but a more important question is what's in it for you? You know, are we safe? Have they actually fixed the problem? And as you know, in 2016, the markets are coming down. This is even worse this time because China's coming down. We have cities that are going bankrupt, like Puerto Rico's going bankrupt. More people are declaring bankruptcy. And the question is, are you safe, and what can you do? Any comments, Kim? Yes, well, uh, Dr. Barry, um, we're talking about, you know, people didn't see it coming. Uh, why? Why did so many economists not, not take this up? Well, I think a combination of reasons. Um, the first thing economists are, are, are taught is markets are efficient, uh, markets work, and sometimes they don't work. So, how, how about greed, corruption, and manipulation? Well, um, these are, are things that economists think about <laughs> once in a while, <laughs> once in a while. So if they, if they looked at, um, to China, if they look to developing countries and ask, why are they not as rich as we are, part of the answer is weaker institutions, more look, look to Russia. Uh, economists do talk about corruption. We just don't talk about it enough, and we don't think about it when we uh, look at our look at our own economy. Well, the yeah. other thing I think was really important was uh, the so-called great moderation. There was a period from the 1980s through 2007 when the economy was more stable than it had been for most uh, of U.S. history, and when Financial markets were more stable uh, from 1987 until 2007 than they had been for most most of U.S. history. So we convinced ourselves erroneously that we had solved the problem uh, of the business cycle. We'd solved the problem uh, of financial instability, and that turned out to be dreadfully wrong. I want you guys to listen to that because that is pretty much on the money. That these economists and politicians and greedy crooks actually thought they could control the ups and downs of an economy. I mean, that's playing God or that's playing communism. That's why you have this political bureau called the Fed. These guys actually thought they could control the economy. And that's why there's a thing called the Greenspan put is that most economists are not investors. You know, they're, they're not of the same bolt of cloth. 
And so every time Greenspan, the Greenspan put was, if the economy falters, we'll bail you out. That was the Fed. And that just let, it was called, you know, moral hazard and all this stuff, is that we didn't have to worry because the Fed would back us every single time. As an investor, that's how I think. I'm not an economist, so that's that's kind of the difference. I saw Greenspan backing us up, so we backed up the truck and took risks we shouldn't take, but we also knew when to get out. And wouldn't you say that's part of the problem with economists versus, you know, people like me who are entrepreneurs and investors? Here I've got to disagree with you. Economists are investors. We're just not good investors. (laughs) (laughs) I I understand. But what I mean, I I don't buy stocks or bonds at mutual funds because they're corrupt. I don't touch them. So that's kind of the difference there. I can put my own deal together. I can borrow my own money. I think there were two different things going on, and and we need – Uh, before 2008, and we need to be aware of both of them. One is the Greenspan put the the belief, right or wrong, that the Fed would leap in if the, whenever the stock market went down significantly, so people didn't have to worry about that downside risk, which was uh, uh, a terrible uh, error. It's also what what you described as the moral hazard, is because if the big banks knew that we would bail them out every single time, then why should they worry? So they just took more and more risk. I mean, isn't basically what you're saying also happened? Yeah, and, and, and that is clearly right. I think there were a, a number of different reasons why, why the banks levered up and took more and more risk, uh, especially in the decade leading up to 2008. I also think that we have actually made a little bit of progress in the post-Dodd-Frank era, in making the big banks, uh, if they're too big to fail, they should be made too safe to fail. We haven't gotten there. So, I so, think we've, we've made some progress in making them hold more of their own capital, uh, uh, putting a ceiling on how much leverage. This is my question, though. Will it prevent the next crash? No, because the next crash will be different from the last one. Right. And it, it's like a balloon. We're pushing down on the banks, and the pressure is going to build up somewhere else next so here, time. So my question, uh, Barry, is is what what do you see as an economist? What needs to happen? Because here's what drives me crazy is I, I listen to Janet Yellen, and I listen to what they're doing at the Fed, and they, they it just seems to be like they're just experimenting. They don't know what they're doing, and, and they try this and they try that, and they maybe it'll work, maybe it won't work. So in, from your opinion, what do you see needs to happen? Well, I think experimentation is is inevitable. Uh, not not even the smartest uh, economist or investor among us understands uh, the economy fully. So we're we're all in a pitch black room, kind of feeling around uh, as best we're able. I would focus on number one: continued progress in trying to make the big banks too safe to fail, even if that hits their profitability. So be it. Number two. I think we have to worry about the derivatives market. Amen. That's where where Amen. the last crisis began, and most of the risks associated with that uh, toxic paper that nobody understands are still out there. And number three, we need to fix the credit rating agencies and disconnect them from regulation. The credit rating agencies are, are, are not a reliable guide. To, Thank you for to saying risky. that. Once and again, Robert Kiyosaki. Robert Kiyosaki, The Rich Dad Radio Show. We're talking to Dr. Barry Eichengreen's fantastic book, Hall of Mirrors. 
and he is a professor of economics and political science at the University of California at Berkeley. And the reason his book, Hall of Mirrors, is so important for all of you to read is because it compares what happens when you compare what happened in 1929 to, let's say, what happened in 2009. In other words, Chairman Bernanke and Greenspan, what they did was they applied the lessons from 1929 to 2009 in very simple, overly simplified stated terms. But the most important question is, are we safe now? Have they fixed the problems? And that's what I love about uh, Dr. Barry's book is because he's basically saying no, because the big problem was not inside the banks anyway, or much of it. It's gone into what's called the shadow banking system, you know, things like car loans and um, these things called derivatives. You know, in, in 2007, there was $700 trillion in derivatives. Today, there's an estimated to $1.4 quadrillion in derivatives. In other words, a shadow banking system has gotten bigger, not smaller. And the demand for money has actually gotten bigger. And China is starting to fall right now. So with that said, we're going to find out what we can do. We can talk about what the politicians are going to do. But a big question is what can we do? Another question is are we safe? That's the big question. So, Dr. Barry, it's nice to talk about what you know Obama could do or the next president will do and all this stuff. But what do you suggest for us, you and me, the little guys out there who are running around going, hey, what's happening here? Well, I do my banking with a small community bank, and I think there's uh, an argument for more people doing that. Bank with uh, someone you know rather than one of these mega institutions. Number two, I think people need to be very broadly diversified rather than taking concentrated bets in a, in, in a period when the markets are, are very volatile. And number three, um, when you say uh, diversified, are you talking diversified in different stocks or diversified in different asset classes? I, I'm talking about different asset classes and, okay. and even different countries, but I was okay. going to add one one more. Number three, don't take financial advice from an economist. <laughs> <laughs> Be very careful whoever you take financial advice from. Do you consider yourself an economist? I, I am uh, an economist, an economic historian, and, right. and an amateur political scientist. <laughs> So while we're on that subject, does any of the presidential candidates uh, pique your interest or have the solution or the best interest for the people at heart? It's interesting to see uh, the the different candidates' financial reform proposals. I think uh, there there are candidates on the Republican side who would want to eliminate Dodd-Frank reform without telling us what would go in its place. And I'm always nervous when they don't tell us what the... Substitute. What, what was the significance of Dodd-Frank in your words? Dodd-Frank was the first step toward making the financial system safer. I think it was really uh, a step in that direction. It wasn't adequate. It wasn't sufficient. But I think it did respond to the, uh, uh, the major problems uh, revealed by the last crisis, that the what, what big the... banks were inadequately capitalized, uh, poorly uh, uh, governed and, and, and run. Um, and I think some uh, elements of Dodd-Frank do address those problems, but um, they, they were not enough. And, 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 and I think it's important to understand 
that no, nothing coming out of Washington, D.C. is going to eliminate the crisis problem or make us perfectly safe. If we ask that of our politicians, that's like asking them to guarantee world peace. It's above their grade. <laughs> Once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, The Rich Dad Radio Show. Very important program. We're talking to Dr. Barry Eichengreen. His book is called Hall of Mirrors, and it's how our professors, or our economists, should you say, because Professor Bernanke was a professor, and he was a student of the Great Depression or the last crash. And what Barry is saying in his book, Hall of Mirrors, is Bernanke, being a scholar, applied the lessons that should have fixed the 1929 crash, but in many ways exacerbated or made the next crash even worse. So that's why you should pay attention because this next crash is coming or has already started, in my opinion. And that's what I want to hear from Dr. Barry. Yeah. Eichen Green is, is this crisis going to get worse or is it going to get better? And very simply, not, not in his, Dr. Barry's words, but in my words, very simply is Bernanke is a student of the Great Depression and he did what he should have done in 1929 to 2009. And the question is, are we safe? Has he fixed the problem? Any comments, Kim? So here's what I'd like to know is is we're talking about, and Dr. Barry uh, used the word crisis. And my question is, Dr. Barry Eichengreen, is the crisis, is it getting better? Do you see in, in your crystal ball, is it getting worse? What do you see for 2016, 2017? I think we're going to remain in these very rough waters. Um, things are going to be tough economically and financially, and we nobody knows for sure how tough Um I think the Fed is likely to remain on hold now for much of 2016. It's not going to aggravate the problem, but it's not going to solve the problem either. Uh, I think the economy has deep-seated problems. Therefore, the financial system does as well. And the central bank uh, alone didn't cause them. The central bank alone can't solve them. And we don't have any agreement in Washington, D.C. about what to do. It's not exclusively a U.S. problem. It's a global problem. So there's a lot to, to worry about. That's why I think um, investors need to be cautious. They need to hold cash. They need to be broadly diversified. Um, that's what my wife tells me. <laughs> and what do you think of the, um, this guy, Jim Records? You know, he was part of long-term capital management and all that. He's writing about currency wars and all this stuff. But he's recommending gold right now. What is your personal view on that? I mean, we don't care either way because we don't give advice. I think, I think gold is a very risky thing to invest in. The price can go way up, as it did a few years ago, or come way down, as it's done more recently. So it's better to buy gold when it's cheap right now than when it's expensive, like it was a few years ago. But if you're going to buy it, you've got to have a strong stomach. You've got to be aware that the price can double year over year, but it can also collapse. But is, isn't, that, isn't that true of stock markets and real estate markets and bond markets? I think what it, it is true, but I think what we've seen recently is that commodities are especially volatile. Copper, oil, most obviously Gold is, is, is basically a commodity. You know, it's produced in places like South Africa, Russia. Supply can fluctuate. Demand can fluctuate a lot. So pe some people are out there saying now is the time to buy uh, petroleum exchange-traded funds that are basically a, a bet 
on the oil market, you've got to have a very strong stomach, stronger than I have, in order to do that. And I think the same is true of gold. Would you be willing to say what you're optimistic on or what you might be investing in? Well, I, 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 I do think that the U.S. economy is still the cleanest dirty shirt in the pile <laughs> and that I would rather invest here at the moment than I would in Europe or China or emerging markets the question more broadly. Is, but there are no, no guarantees about the U.S. market either, as we've been reminded recently. Right. But what would you invest in in the United States? Well, I I'm, wouldn't try to outguess the, the market at, at, at the moment. Uh, everybody knows that the manufacturing sector, firms that, that do manufacturing are doing especially poorly at the moment, and, and things related to uh, the service sector more broadly look better. I think technology valuations are still high, on the other hand. So I would try to hold a, a very broadly diversified portfolio, including considerable amount of cash uh, at the moment, and, and not try to outguess the markets. So you and I look at the, at the markets uh, several minutes or several hours a day, but there are other people out there who look at them 12 hours a day. Right. And, and I don't think we uh, uh, should try to outguess the specialists and, 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 and their machines. And what do you think about QA, another, another round of so-called printing money? Well, I think that um, uh, deflation uh, is a problem when it occurs. If prices go down like they did uh, in the Great Depression of the 1930s, that can seriously destabilize financial markets uh, and the economy, and we need to avoid that. So QE as a measure of last resort to prevent uh, uh, the price level from collapsing, as threatened to happen in 2008, uh, is what is required under those circumstances. Are we there again now on the cusp of deflation? No, I don't see the evidence. So I think um, calls for more QE right now are premature, at least in the U.S. It's happening in Europe. It's happening in Japan. I don't think the time is right for it to happen in the U.S. Mm. Uh, let me ask you this. If you were president or the Fed chairman and all this, what would you do? So these are, are, are different people. The, I think the, if I was the Fed chairman, I would not continue to raise interest rates because of the fragility uh, uh, of the stock market, the fragility of the economy. If I was the president, I think, number one, it would be nice not to have all this political noise and uncertainty about what uh, uh, the tax system is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. I do think, number two, there is an opportunity at these historically low interest rates to better meet some of the needs uh, of the economy, to uh, repair those potholes, repair those bridges. Um, uh, it is possible for the government to borrow at lower cost right now uh, than, than it has for 80 years right. and uh, in, in invest in basic research, invest in infrastructure, invest in education, and help, help get the economy going. I've heard that more and more and more from very knowledgeable people. Yeah, we've, we've heard one, one uh, economist was talking about he has no problem with the government spending money. It depends on what he, the government spends it on. 
So if they spend it on things that f- further our, our progress our economy and, and into industries that progress our economy, he's all for that. But, yeah, so why not, why not spend money to cure cancer? You know, that's better than killing people. So, yeah, um, there, there's an issue uh, of whether people believe that we can trust our, our government absolutely. and money. <laughs> absolutely. And, absolutely. And Isn't that the issue? That's the big issue. So once again, it's Robert Kiyosaki, the Richard I. Radio Show. We're talking to Dr. Barry Eichengreen. Fantastic book, Hall of Mirrors, The Great Depression, The Great Recession, and the Uses and Misuses of History, because a lot of times historians look at the past and apply it to the future. And that's what happened with Professor Bernanke. And now we're in trouble. The question today is, is the problem solved or is it going to get worse? And more importantly, what can you do? So with that, any final words in the last minute? I mean, anything you want to talk about? We've asked the questions and uh, appreciate having such a learned person like you give their point of view on this whole thing. No, I think we've covered uh, the right ground. And, and if my, my message that it's still a risky world out there, so uh, <laughs> buckle up has been heard, uh, then I'm happy. And, and then let me just ask on China, because well, there's a lot of talk about China. Is that uh, what, what impact is China going to have on our future? Well, it, it's a, a big economy. It's 15% of the global economy. So what happens in China doesn't, doesn't stay in China. I'm firmly of the view that the Chinese economy is not crashing, that they are continuing to grow at maybe 6% per year, which is pretty darn good. But number one, their financial markets are crashing because they're badly regulated. And number two, the credibility of Chinese policymakers is crashing. People don't believe that the political class in China really um, knows what it's doing financially. So there are are financial problems in China. They don't stay in China. But uh, uh, keep in mind that the Chinese economy is continuing to grow, and it's not a total economic collapse like happened to the world starting in 1929. And what happened, what's going to happen in Europe? Because that we have, you have huge problems with immigration and all this, plus the economy. What do you see there? I see continued stagnation in Europe. Uh, in, in other words, very slow growth. I think they have uh, interlocking crises. They're, they're not able to handle any one of them. The euro crisis, the refugee crisis, uh, the political crisis with the rise of political extremism. So their plates are full. Their management capacity is limited. Um, I think they will in, in, indeed grow very slightly in 2016, but they're not going to be enough to um, pull the, the world economy out of its doldrums. And, and one, one final question is, is, you talked earlier about derivatives, that that was the problem years ago or derivatives, has anything been done to address that, or is that still a major problem looming over our heads? It is still a major problem. So, uh, again, a little bit has been done in response to the last wave uh, of problems associated with derivatives, but not enough. Part of the problem was that uh, nobody knew who was holding what, and uh, a little bit of additional transparency has now been required of derivatives markets, and they are settled through these things called central clearinghouses, big platforms where uh, buyers and sellers meet. I think that has not eliminated the risk 
in derivatives markets. It's kind of concentrated it uh, in in those clearinghouses or, or or platforms. So I would be very worried, very very cautious about the problems that that uh, that part of the financial system can solve can create for us in the future. So, uh, so Dr. Barry, thank you very much. A fantastic book, Hall of Mirrors. Everybody, please read it. Once again, Professor of Economics and Political Science, his book, Hall of Mirrors, The Great Depression, The Great Recession, and the Uses and Misuses of History, came out in 2014. And he has another book, which I like to read, is called Exorbitant Privilege, The Rise and Fall of the Dollar, came out in 2007. Because in my opinion, and it's just my little lowly opinion, the problem is the dollar. It's toxic. It's like what happens, what's happening in Flint, Michigan, when you pump toxic water into the people, they get sick and die. And when you pump toxic dollars into the economy, people get sick and die. So that's why I think that his book, his other book, Exorbitant Privilege, A Rise and Fall of the Dollar, is an important book. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, you know, I, I find it so interesting, especially listening to all the election stuff going on and Obama's taking credit for the recovery of the recession and Hillary saying, oh, Obama brought us out of the recession and we're the economy has recovered. Yet, I, I think every single expert, economist, expert on the economy that we have had on the show, nobody thinks that the, that the economy has recovered. They only see it getting worse if something isn't done. So it's just, again, you know, we're always different points of view, two sides, three sides of the coin. Um, I just find it fascinating that the experts are saying, no, we have not recovered. But I think this is the uh, from Barry's book, The Hall of Mirrors. He quotes, this is quoted all over my world of skeptics. <laughs> it says, Queen Elizabeth II famously posed a question to, at, at her visit to the London School of Ec- Economics in 2008 and said, why or ask why did no one see it coming? Look, you see it coming right now. You know Barry's even saying we haven't fixed the problem. I think that's really the lesson. The reason we haven't fixed the problem is we pl- we applied the fix for 1929 to 2009, and that's the problem. We have academics running the economy. That is my point of view. But, and isn't and isn't it also? I mean, they're academics. They got their theories. They're talking about this should happen this way. This should happen this way. But when you're out in the real world. No. And, and you're and you're renting apartments and you're building businesses and you see what's happening every day. It, it seems a lot more obvious well when you're out said. there in the real world. So how did Kim and I know the crash was coming? Was well, because we rent apartments and we had all these idiots running up to us and say, "Well, I'm going to move out of my apartment and I'm going to buy a four hundred thousand dollar house." How are you going to do that? I got free money. They from could the government. barely pay the rent. They can't pay the rent. They're going to buy a four hundred thousand dollar house. So we said, "Crash is coming." Look, it's always said, you know, when idiots are doing something, don't do it. And, like, that is the that is the number one thing. The trouble with London School of Economic guys, they hang out with other guys who think they're smart. And that's really a huge problem. And the problem is you have academics who are out of touch with reality, like Obama. Then we have other problems. So that's why when you look at what's going on today, you've got to be very, very careful because your greatest asset is your brain. But you can put toxic material inside your brain also. You know, just think of this. You eat McDonald's every day with French fries or you eat kale salad every day. Something's going to be different in a few years, you know. That's the same thing. So that's why with the Rich Dad Radio Show, you can submit your questions to Ask Robert at the Rich Dad Radio Show. So what's the first question, Melissa? Our first question today comes from Jeremy in Bremerton, Washington. Favorite book, Cash Flow Quadrant. 
He says, what is the most important action step I must take in order to prepare for this upcoming economic storm? Well, the first thing is, you know, rule number one, if you're at rich dad, poor dad. Rule number one in financial education is who gives you financial advice. Who do you listen to? And that's the reason why the Rich Dad Radio Show is we do our best to have as many different points of view on what's going on in the economy. And as you know, they all say similar things, but they all say different things. Like Dr. Barry Eichengreen, he speaks to some of the most noted organizations like the CF Council on Foreign Relationships and all these high-fluting guys. So it was really an honor to hear him speak. So you can listen to his point of view. Now, what I do, what he does, absolutely not. You know, when I asked him, he says, I'm an investor. I said, well, that's like saying I'm a golfer. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's different levels of golfers out there, right, Kim? Yes, there are. Very many. Very and many. So You've got to be careful who you take financial advice from. You know, don't take putting lessons from me. Because I'll mess your brain and, up. And right, I think Kim? it's yeah, yeah. You never take it. Never take golf lessons from your spouse ever. Uh, but I, I think it was really interesting too. And I, I think it's really important too when you're saying who you take your financial advice from, because we have an expert called named Bert Doman, and Bert Doman says, you know, if everybody's going right, then go left. So you really have to look for different points of view that are out there, because often the masses aren't paying attention to really what's going on. So, so. Rich dad, poor dad. I listen to my rich dad, not my poor dad. And too many people listen to poor dads, like professors of econ ec economics or people at London School of Economics or guys like President Obama who went to Harvard, but he's never really had a job. I'm not against him, but I'm just saying be careful who you take advice from. The same as Bernie Sanders. He's an avowed socialist. Guy's got a big heart. But what he wants to do is tax the rich, so I kind of got a little upset with that one. Now, Mr. Trump, he'll do anything to get elected, so you got to watch out for that too. So be careful who you take advice from, lesson one. If you learned that, listen to the Rich Dad radio program, and you'll hear more and more points of view, and then you can screw your own brain up and make your own decision. But it is confusing because there is not one answer. There's only one place there's one answer. That's in school. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from... Kumarsian in Fremont, California, favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. They say, I believe the crash is coming and I want to invest when the market is down. But my question is, where do I keep my money? Regular savings, checking, brokerage account, and how much maximum should you keep in one account? If the banks go bankrupt, how can I protect my money? That's a very good question. You better ask your banker that. I think uh, Dr. Eichengren had a good thing. He says, you want, you want a relationship with your banker. He said small banks. Yeah, he talked about small community banks. I don't necessarily agree with that because they're the first guys that go down. <laughs> they may manage your money better. You may have a good relationship with them, but they probably got gobbled up by the big banks. So you got to have relationships out there. I think that's the number one thing right now is who do you take advice from? Who do you have relationships with? That's why I have the Rich Dad Advisors. My advisors I trust implicitly. Now, if you don't have people you can trust implicitly, then keep looking. You know, that's like saying, who should I get married to? Well, I don't know. You better find out pretty quickly, though, you know, because you make a bad decision, it's a, it's a lifetime of pain and misery. Make a good decision, it's less pain and misery. <laughs> Next and, question. And, 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 uh, and one other thing that Kumarsian asked, she said, you know, I'm going to invest when the market's down. Well, you know, the market's been crashing every day almost, and it, just because it's down doesn't mean it's a good deal. If it's like real estate, just because the price is cheap doesn't mean it's a good deal. So um, 
I just want to want to make that point that just because the market's down or the real estate market is down, you still have to do a lot of education of yourself and experience to know when you have a good deal, a good stock, a good piece of real estate. That's very good advice, you know, because there is no real right or wrong answer. It's just whatever answer comes up best for you. The other thing, too, if it's a wrong answer, you know, make changes quickly. That's all I can say. So start small, learn, because that's how you really learn. You don't learn answers in school. Next question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Kinshasa, Evans, Georgia, favorite book, Unfair Advantage. says this. In one of your recent podcasts with Richard Duncan, he mentioned that it would be the wise choice for the government to print money and not increase the interest rates. Recently, they did increase it by one point and plan on increasing it again. I'm currently in the rat race, and I am working on getting out of debt with financial education, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. Where do you think the U.S. is headed from a beginner's point of view? That's a fabulous question, but you really shouldn't ask me because I'm a big pessimist on the economy. The reason I'm a, best, I'm a big pessimist is because the reason we interviewed Dr. Barry Eichengreen today is because we haven't fixed the problem. We're making the same mistakes because people are driving the economy looking in the rearview mirror. Your job is to look into the future, and what, what future you see is then you prepare the best way that you can to survive the economy. I think it's going to go down. Obama thinks it's going to go up. Now, one of us is going to be right. Which one do you think it is? You know, I mean, those are the questions. The most important things is, are what skills do you need? Like, for example, if you want to be an entrepreneur, the number one skill is you better learn how to sell pretty quickly and sell pretty effectively. Because if you're going to, if, like, if you need $100, you got to sell at least $10,000 worth of stuff. The reason most guys go broke is they can't sell. So it really is time to look in the mirror, smile, and say, what don't I know? See, it's not what you know. It's what you don't know that ultimately gets you. And only you can answer that question. Any comments, Kim? Yeah, well, you know what? A lot of people are saying that it's the first time in, in American history where they think they, their children are going to have are going to be worse off than the parents were today. Um, and that maybe that's a general statement. But I'm like, if I have a kid, we don't have kids, but if I had a kid— um, I'd be teaching him or her, and I'd be making sure that my kid isn't part of that. Isn't part of that. Uh, it's, it really does come down. It's up to you. It's up to the individual. It's what are you going to do? We keep saying, what are you going to do about it? Because they're talking about the masses who obviously don't really want to take action. They don't. They want to sit back passively. They and don't want to do. and be told what to do. They don't want to get themselves educated. They don't want the experience. So don't be one of the masses. So I recommend you guys play the cash flow game, play the cash flow game, teach others to play the cash flow game because you've got to put new information in your head. The biggest problem I had with my poor dad, he actually thought he was smart because he had a PhD. He was academically smart. He thought he was smart. He thought he knew everything. And all of us know people out there who know everything. And they're some of the worst people to do business with. Keep an open mind, study, Learn, play cash flow, take action. You need more information, not less information. Final question, Melissa. Our next question comes from Raymond in Dubai. Favorite book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Says, Robert, what is some advice you would give your former self while you were serving in the military? I would like to pass it along to my current unit. Great question. One of the best decisions I made was to go to war. And um, the reason I learned a thing called spiritual literacy. 
I talk about financial literacy, like assets versus liability, discounted cash flow, ROI. But what most people don't learn in school is spiritual literacy that you learn in the military. Number one thing I learned at the academy, mission. Mission comes from your heart and soul. What is your purpose in life? When you're talking to these young guys, ask them, when you leave the military, if you leave the military, what is your mission? What are you here to do? What special gift did God give you to serve humanity? What's your mission? If it's just to make money, just go to business school, okay? Other words are trust. How many guys in your platoon, squad, whatever it is, do you trust with your life? How many? You know, in my world, I only have about five people I trust with my life. And that's what I learned about spiritual literacy. You know what I mean? How many guys are married to wives they don't trust or husbands or husbands they don't trust? I mean, why would you be married? How about integrity? How about diligence? How about discipline? How about courage?